Hi everyone, uh, it's Arthur here from The Art of Living. I'm going to look in the right direction for the camera. Um, super excited this morning to be talking to Jeff Sanders uh, from the 5AM Miracle. Uh, he's a productivity guru, a keynote speaker, uh, an author. He's got an amazing podcast, which has had over 9 million downloads that you've been doing for five and a half years now. Is that right? Seven and, and a half uh, years now. Seven and a half. My, I, I looked on Apple <laughs> and I was like, how long has this been going on? And it gave up after 2015. So, uh -huh, it did. Um, so that's amazing. Um, so, I mean, just I was just saying before we got on the call, there's so you sent me a list of talking points. And there's so many different things where we overlap. I want to talk about the fact that you're a plant-based marathon runner. I want to talk about your intermittent fasting. I want to talk about your podcasting. I want to talk about all sorts of things and also how you got to where you are and some of the obstacles you've gone through. And it's always interesting talking to a a productivity expert because there's a, a meta level of reflection on what it took to get to where you are and, and mm -hmm. everything. But give us a give us a, for people who don't know you, who have never heard of you before, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and and how, in your own words, how would you describe what you do and and what what's different about Jeff? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, you you kind of hit on a few of those big topics there. I think a, a large part of the way I, I think of myself as just someone who really loves to do personal experiments. That's kind of how I got into productivity to begin with. And I think that what I really wanted when I graduated college was to figure out, you know, where do I fit in the world? Because I didn't know at that point. I really, I graduated with a degree in theater, but I didn't want to be an actor. And so I was like, well, what, what do I do with my life now? I considered film school, but I was like, ah, that's got cost too much money. Like, what's my path forward? And so I discovered personal growth at that point and realized that's what would really open the doors for me to understand more about myself and how the world works and where I fit into all of that. And for me, the only real way to learn about all of these things that were going on was to do personal experiments. So that's how I was running marathons, trying to plant-based diet, launching a side business, and then all of these things eventually kind of all merged together into the full-time business that I now do. But that wasn't the plan. It was just, I was just trying a lot of random stuff. And now that random stuff is my life and career. And so now I speak about those things. I write books on them, have podcasts about them. And so most of what my life now entails is this, those main topics of productivity, healthy habits, personal growth, and then figuring out how I can help other people to, well, really just to improve in all of those areas while I myself am testing new things at the same time. Yeah, amazing. I think that's how a lot of people get into it. I'm curious. Um, it's always interesting to hear about people's first side business. What was the first side business? Did it work out or is it something <laughs> that... Um, I guess technically I had a side business when I was, you know, had a paper route when I was 14 years old, but really I think the first foray into doing a side business is uh, the precursor to what I do now. So it's just a side blog where I was trying to make some money with AdSense and that was right after college. And so that was my first kind of testing the waters of what was out there. That's also when I launched my first podcast that went all of three episodes before my brother emailed me and asked when I would stop doing this awful thing because it was a really bad <laughs> show. And But I realized that once again, as, as an experiment, I knew that there was potential. I just didn't know what it would look like when, it, when I did it well. So it wasn't until years later that I launched my current show. But that was, I think for me, like that's what I'm looking for, those little test vehicles of what will give me insight into something so that later on I can discover if I want to lean in to that, you know, really intensely or just let it go. Yeah, I think that's a, a people always get very fixated on setting goals early on. And, and I know you're a big fan of goal setting. I mean, anyone, goal setting is super important. I know you, you think mainly in 90 days and setting days up for success. But right. I think there's so much about gathering data before you set goals. You have to try people. There's this Gary Keller thing, right? What's the one thing that you need to do? 
and people are like, I need to find my one thing. I'm like, the only way you find your one thing is by trying a whole, you have to have a very light, thin layer of experiments. And mm-hmm. then when you like find a winner, then you back it. You do the sort of venture capital or pharmaceutical industry style <laughs> of you know, big portfolio. And that's very cool. Um, and so you, I'm curious, um, I personally think of myself as I love writing. Writing is how I think and how I get stuff out. But you are, you know, you've uh, got a podcast agency that you've just started in Nashville. Is that right? That's and correct hundreds of episodes on this podcast and and so you're very much a, a voice uh a voice focused person but you're obviously also an author um but what what made you decide to stick with the podcast thing once you'd started it up well i think that my my background in theater really taught me that i want to do something that involves performance something that involves me kind of getting out there and using my voice or physicality or something and so that's why i considered film school and then after i dropped that idea it was well maybe i do radio but then I discovered podcasting just as a consumer, as someone who's just listening and wanting to learn more. And my first few podcasts I was listening to thinking, I could do this. And I could do this well if I really leaned into it. And so I thought that if I combined kind of my love for technology, my love for learning, my kind of performance background, those things fit really well together as a podcast. I didn't expect my podcast to do as well as it did, but when it took off in those first couple of years, it really set the stage for all the other things I now do. So whenever I talk about kind of, you know, who is Jeff Sanders, what do you do? The podcast is almost the first thing that I mention because that's what leads everything else. And so, but that wasn't the plan, but that was something that I knew if I leaned into this and it, and it combines those elements of things that fit me well, surely it's going to do okay. And so that was the, the thought. And then it did. And so I think that that, uh, that idea and that experimentation did pay off. Fantastic. And you do have a great voice. You, know, you meet some people, you're like, oh, you definitely couldn't couldn't do like radio or podcast. <laughs> but I, I feel like I can hear, listen to you on, you know, adverts and backing tracks and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's like that guy who did the Big Brother house or there's that amazing video of the, uh, the homeless guy on the side of the road with a golden voice and they get him to speak. It's oh, yeah. Amazing. It comes out <laughs> Um, very, very cool. Um, so, um, tell me a little bit about some of your, cause one of the best, I'm just at the start of, inter- I don't really think of myself as a podcast. I just love connecting with interesting people. And the first couple of people I connected happened to be Brian Tracy and David Allen, because they were like, who would I, if I could speak to anyone, who would I speak to? And I was like, okay, well, I'll just email those guys and see what happens. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah. And so one of my favorite things about this medium is you get to connect with these really interesting people and, and have great conversations. Can you think of a, a couple of uh, of your sort of favorite conversations that you've had either recently or over the course of the whole uh, whole podcast? I have interviewed over 200 people. Uh, there's a lot of guests I've had in the show. David Allen is one of them. Um, Bob Proctor was one. who's kind of in that same space of people that are in personal growth. Um, I think the biggest name of a guy I interview is Deepak Chopra, but I can tell wow. you straight up that Deepak was one of the worst guests I ever had. I hope you're <laughs> listening to this interview right now, but he was awful. And, and it's one of those, I think it really showed to me, like connection is amazing, but connecting with the right people that fit you and what you're doing is way more important than anything else. And so I, I, I've interviewed a lot of cool people in the past. Dean Karnazes is one of my favorites because he's the, the writer of the book Ultra Marathon Man, a bunch of others as well. But he's run a lot of big marathons. And for me, he was an idol in, in my world of wanting to run marathons and be healthy. And so interviewing him was incredible because he kind of reinforced you know those those visions I had of who is this guy, talking to him, connecting with him. It kind of proved that like there are amazing human beings out there and talking to them just, it brings out so many amazing aspects of, of myself where I can talk to people who are just doing things so well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an amazing, uh, it gives you incredible license to reach out to people. Um, I oh, read yeah. a, a lot of summaries and 
And I just sort of, after I finish, I just, you know, type a message out to these authors. And I'm like, hey, I just wrote a summary of your book. And you know, people you would otherwise never have. Any, and, and people are very open and friendly. The best people you email them, they're like, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to right, jump on that. Right. You jump on a call to have a conversation. That's very cool. And so you you talked, um, I kind of, there's sort of a self-development lens. There's something you talk a lot about as well as healthy habits. Mm. Um, and you're obviously a, a healthy guy. You, do you have you done any ultra marathons or just marathons? Or, I've done a, yeah, I've done a few ultra marathons, but not the intense ones. Like my goal is to do the Leadville, Colorado, 100 mile um, ultra marathon. Mm. That's my, my bucket list. I'm not there yet. Um, but the longest race I've done is about 40 miles. Uh, so I have gone beyond the marathon. Yeah. That's amazing. And the uh, the Leadville, Colorado one, remind me, that's the one which has just incredible climbs. and decent Oh, it's in, yeah, there's enormous amounts of altitude change. I mean, you're starting already at like, was it 7,000 feet, which was like you know, two or 3,000 meters in the air. It's really, really high up. And then you go from there and you scale enormous mountains up and down and over the course yeah. of 100 miles. So it's not as if it's a short race at all. It's an enormously challenging one. Uh, but to me, that's that's the pinnacle of what it means to, if you're going to set an ambitious goal, you may as well set that goal to be at the top and push for that. And just in my pursuit of even thinking about that, I ran further and trained harder. And I just feel like that's just such a big aspect of, of goal achievement too. Yeah, definitely. There's that old, uh, you know, aim for the stars and the very least you'll land on the moon kind of thing. Exactly. I, um, I had a, a friend who uh, messaged me a few years ago now, and he was like, I want to run the Marathon de Saab, which is the ultra marathon in the Sahara Desert, um, five days uh, with the kit on your back. And I'd never even run a half marathon. I, I just, I was, you know, it was a good excuse to spend time with friends. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do that with you. <laughs> um, and so, and again, I, you know, I having never done it, I ended up running like three, three marathons, back to back, double marathon, marathon, half marathon over the course of five days. You never would have achieved that if you hadn't aimed high, right? So right. I think, there's, there's also this, I mean, in those instances, and I'm sure you'll hit your Leadville goal, there's this this um, this idea of guiding stars and distant shores that it's also okay to set really big goals and not hit them, right? Which I mm. think is really important because sometimes the goal is something that you want to achieve, but sometimes it's just something you want to aim towards because it sets the course of what you want to be doing, right? So even right. if you never run the Colorado uh, Ultra Marathon, it's changed your life in terms of your keystone habits and all those kind of things, you know, it's set the, set the pace for your world. Yeah, certainly. I mean, that's one of those that I, when I first discovered this idea that I could even pursue big goals, like I didn't even believe that was even a thing. It was, it was like a weird transition that I made in my twenties where I started to think a whole lot bigger in a way that I never had before. And once I started discovering that there are amazing people doing amazing things and that I could also be one of them, like that was like a revolutionary thought. And then all of a sudden it changed all the goals I began to set. All of them are huge. All of them are way bigger than before. And because of that, I began to make a lot of progress. And I just, I fell in love with that process of just seeing myself improve and tracking that progress over time and then kind of reinforcing that that's possible to continue. And it's just, it's an addictive process to get things done, but do so in a way that you can like really like physically see that you're improving. And I, I find that whole process to be so fascinating. Can you take us back to that moment where you realized that was there a book you read? Was there a, a goal that you set that kicked it all off? Um, I wouldn't say it's a specific time. It was mostly, there was a time period kind of right after I graduated college where I had launched my first blog and I, and I wrote my first book at this point. It was called Graduated and Clueless. Uh, it's a book no one's ever read and no one's ever going to, uh, but it was a book that for me was 
I was I was reading a lot of books, listening to podcasts, learning a lot, and then just recording my thoughts on paper and trying to get those things out of my head. And it was in that process that's really, I think, like a therapeutic you know aspect of writing where you just kind of get those cobwebs out of your head and onto paper. It clarified so much for me about who I was and what I wanted. And for me, that's when I began to really solidify, like, here's a path in life that I could really get a hold of and one I could really like enjoy doing. But prior to that, it was mostly just a lot of like, well, I could do anything and everything is possible. And like, but that attitude doesn't lead to anything. It just leads you to be more confused. I really wanted to figure out like which paths in life can I go down and excel at if I were to commit to those. I so you did a lot of journaling, sort of writing down on paper. I mean, there's the yeah. you know, there's the magic between the pen and the paper. But to be able to actually write those thoughts down, you found that a, a useful exercise. And then that for me has been huge, just ongoing. And the the podcast itself I have now was born of the blog. And the blog was only there because I wanted to write down really everything I was thinking about. So I have hundreds of articles I've written over the years that I've since deleted because no one should read those things ever again. They were terrible. But at the time, they were really important. And they were helping me to make that next connection so I could then move on to the next one. And so for me, writing and journaling and just and blogging or whatever you want to call it, however you do it, that process is so important to understand your own voice and your message and what you believe in and all of those things come out. And then all of a sudden you have a, a greater sense of who you are. And that's for me where the podcast came from, where my many of my ideas came from me my belief systems like came from me just like thinking out loud on paper. I love it. I think you've, you've tapped in as well to one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today since you'll have lots of ideas is procrastination and something mm. I see a lot of people procrastinate the reason is they're afraid of doing something which is crap right and the first draft of everything is crap you know the only totally. way to version 100 is through version one right and i love that you you know it's okay to write a ton of articles and then delete them you know people start blogs <laughs> they're like oh i don't want to publish what if it's you know it's going to be there forever and there's this thing where i look back at my early articles i'm like oh god i can't believe i published that and put that online <laughs> and that's okay you know I, i'm sure that you know like you said you've got I'm sure there are podcast episodes where you're like, oh, maybe I should just delete that podcast episode or whatever it is. But, well, even um, right now, I'm working on an audio course. And so oh, yeah. it's, it's a 10 episode <laughs> audio course. And it's one where I've recorded the first three episodes and I deleted all three of them and re-recorded all of them two times because all of them needed to be improved. And like in my, and even I'm like eight years into podcasting and I still have to go through those rough drafts to figure out. How do I want to say this in the way that I really want to that could be published, that could be out there. But the first draft is never the one that gets published. And that's because I don't want that to that, that doesn't define you. It just defines your first initial thoughts. And if you can improve upon those and, and then layer up from there, well, all of a sudden everything is a whole lot better. And I'm also amazed at the growth process that takes place, even from the first draft to the second draft. Like you can just see like all these connections taking place that the first time through would never be possible to see. Yeah, absolutely. And the same is true of goals, right? You know, people get very worried because they're like, when I put this goal down on paper, I'm committed to it. You right. Know, and that's it. It's game over. But the, the first time you write a goal down on paper, it's the first draft of that goal. You know, you can yeah. rewrite that goal. It's one of the reasons that I love, I think, uh, uh, night day planning is important. I'm, I'm wary of planners, uh, physical planners that make you write down the 90 day goal at the start of the 90 day process because the goal is constantly evolving. You know, by, yeah, by the time you're three true. weeks into the goal, it's changed and then you're stuck with this goal that you wrote at the start of the planning you don't believe in anymore. And you're like, oh, what do I do yep. the rest of the time? Um, 
but no, I think that's a very powerful message of, and it's so easy to see people like you who are fantastic at, at what you do now, you know, having done this for seven years and think, oh, they must get it right first time every time. But, you know, <laughs> A, we all, everyone who's good at something was once bad at it. And B, even as a professional, you're constantly remaking, you know, you're, you're constantly making first drafts, second drafts, third drafts, fourth drafts. You know, what people see is not an ad hoc, even when it looks spontaneous, you know, that's the new sort of fashion with videos online it's usually the fifth or sixth time that video has been recorded or, or more and that's pre-editing there was a story i heard years ago that uh, the uh, the actor anthony hopkins you know from hannibal and a lot of other mm -hmm. movies too that he would read the script 250 times before he would go perform a single line so he was literally memorizing the entire script not just his lines but every single character's lines in the entire movie and it was just this commitment to professionalism that I had never seen on that scale. And that really showed me, well, if that's what it takes to be Anthony Hopkins or to be on that level, well, then there's a lot more work for me to do, but it also gives me the liberty to make a lot of mistakes along the way. I think this accepting mistakes as part of the process is a huge leap forward if you are holding yourself back because you're fearful of making mistakes. Like it's just, it has to be part of it. And if you're not willing to look goofy and feel stupid, I mean, that was a part of my, my theater background. There were so many times where I would do a monologue or a play or a skit and I would get just destroyed in the reviews. Like they would just people would tear me apart and I would just take those notes and go do it better the next time. And like, that's what it takes to get better. And if you're not willing to engage in that process, then it probably means you're doing the wrong thing because the thing you want to do, you're probably willing to make mistakes in because you love doing it. And to me, that's been a big other connection is when I enjoy what I'm doing, when I love podcasting or whatever, I'm willing to make mistakes because it's it's part of what I want to do. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. It ties into into another thing. Something I'm thinking about at the moment. I'm curious to get your your thoughts on it. So initially, we talk to people about setting goals. We talk about healthy habits, and healthy habits are hard initially. You know, getting to the gym the first time, getting up for that first run, going out and still running when it's raining outside or whatever. <laughs> it is. And there's this there's this point where there's, you know, you make this great point about doing something you love because then you're more likely to, to make the mistakes, to do all the things. But there's also this thing where you have to push uphill. Sometimes you have to push uphill. And when you set big goals, one of the reasons people shy away from them is because it, it creates this cognitive dissonance, mm. right? Where you, there's like a, where you are and b where you want to be. And that creates like an elastic tension, which pulls us towards our goal. That can be very uncomfortable. And especially when you set your goals too large, it can it can make you feel helpless. You know, you wake up every day, you feel like you're not making progress. How have you experienced that? And when you have experienced that, how have you dealt with that? Well, I think that really speaks to how I became a runner in the first place. So when I was in college, I was running mostly just to like lose some weight, feel healthier. I wanted to kind of get back in shape. And as I began that process, I got to a point one day where I ran a three mile run and it was the first time I'd done three miles in a long time, which for someone who runs a lot, a lot of distance, three miles is, is a, basically a warm up. But if you don't r ever run at all, three miles can feel like an eternity. And I made this like I'm mean, this breakthrough moment at three miles where I thought I could do four. I maybe I, I could do five, maybe. And then I got to the fifth mile, like it's like about a week later, I did a five mile run first time in my entire life. And on that day, I was like, I can do a marathon like it just it clicked in my head like. I hit a threshold, I crossed it over this like bridge of an obstacle that I had in my mind. And I proved to myself that if I can do, you know, these incremental improvements, well, I could just keep that pattern going indefinitely or until there's a reasonable place to stop. But I got to that point where I realized I can do a lot more than I thought that I could, but I only believed in that once I had already been making progress towards it. So if you sit like at the start line and think, well, I can't get to the finish line, 
Well, no, because you're on the start line. You have to go somewhere first and like start the process. And that's when for me, I just I get those mental connections and that kind of belief system in myself to then push forward further. Mm, I love it. So there's like a there's an you give yourself an experimental or a trial period where it does feel a little bit uphill and you are doing stuff. But I think there comes a point where if you if it doesn't feel suddenly like it's it flips and you're like, oh, okay, the enthusiasm is building, then then maybe there's a chance because, you know, we talked about that experiment. Maybe something else is the right thing to do. Maybe you're not born to run. Maybe you should go try dancing. Maybe you should go try some right. other sport like tennis or, or hockey or whatever it is you want to do, right? Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a big part of it too is that there are plenty of things I've done in the past. I remember I, I played baseball as a kid and I got to a point where I, I was probably 12 years old or so and there were some kids who were growing up faster than others and so they started you know, pitching the ball like 100 miles an hour at my face. I don't think you're like, this is not for me. I don't enjoy this. I'm not having fun in this process. And so I changed sports and then did so again and again and again until I began to figure out what I was naturally good at and what I felt compelled to do it wasn't until probably my mid-20s or so that I really discovered running trails as being one of the things that I actually love more than anything else. So for me to be in the woods, hiking, running, backpacking, camping, like all of those kinds of activities make me feel more at home. And so if I can lean towards those as often as possible, then I don't think of it as a challenge. It's like the actual physical uphill climb is fun for me. I like that challenge. But if you are doing something, you committed to a goal where that uphill climb sounds awful and you don't enjoy any of it, it's probably not a good fit versus one where you see the challenge and it actually makes you excited. You get like you're thrilled to check to take it on. And that's what I want. I want to look forward to the work that I'm doing, look forward to the goals I set, because the challenge of doing so sounds enticing. It doesn't sound scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, excitement is something that's very often underrated, you know, even being excited to tell people about what you're doing or people go are oh, using equipment that you are excited to use because you wake <laughs> up on the day, a planner that you love or a computer that you enjoy or, or a desk chair that you love or whatever it is. You know, anything that gets you excited about the work you're doing that gives you energy is how you create a sort of self. It's a perpetual motion machine, right? Otherwise, you mm -hmm. run the back down the whole way through. Well, that's a great too. It's like even with podcasting, I was, when I first started it, I spent more money on my podcast equipment than I'd spent on anything at that point in my life. And I was really nervous. That I just had to overspend and like, oh no, like what did I buy all this expensive gear? I don't understand. But I used that gear for the, for the first seven years of the show. And then literally just three months ago, I did a complete studio overhaul, bought all new gear, reinvested like exponentially more money than I did in the beginning because I proved to myself that this is my future. This is what I love to do. And like yeah. now, to your point, I walk into my studio, which I call a studio now, not just a home office. I walk in and I'm like, look at all this cool gear that I get to use every day. Like, isn't this amazing? And like, if you can feel like that, then work is more like a game. It's more just like a fun activity. And then when you're growing, it's just this amazingly interesting process. It's not some like toil and trouble and difficult challenge. It's like, I get to go do this today. I'm excited to do this today. And if you're at that point, like that's such a great indicator that you're doing what we should be doing. Yeah. I think that happens at three, three different levels as well. There's sort of the why, the what and the how, but you know, the, the most basic level, if the what is to get healthy or to make money or whatever it is, and you're just not excited by that goal, it might not actually be the goal that's got anything wrong with it. It might be how you're approaching it. So mm. if the goal is to lose a certain amount of weight, and you're trying to do it by running every single day and you hate every second of running, then instead of changing the goal, the first thing to do is experiment with a lot of the house. You know, maybe mm. try, a, you know, I, we can talk about intermittent fasting in a minute. Oh, sure. You're trying, 
and something I'm excited about. And then there's, if you try a lot of stuff, maybe it's the what that's not working. And if the what is not right, maybe you need to think about the why, you know, the motive that's behind it. So I think it's a really cool idea. Um, talk to us about, um, so one thing that, that people here in Bali are very uh, interested in is nutrition, um, mm. diet. So everyone here has an opinion. I, I have friends, <laughs> have one friend who's a bodybuilder who eats nothing but fruit. And I have another friend who's a bodybuilder who eats nothing but meat and never the twain shall meet. They both insist <laughs> that, you know, the other is poisonous and will kill you. Um, but you're a, you're a plant-based, uh, you have a plant-based diet. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Fully plant-based or are you also eating a little bit of meat during the week or? No, I've been a strict vegan for over 10 years. So it's been, uh, ah. yeah, that's been my thing. Was it Scott Jurek who inspired you or, or was it just something that you decided to take on yourself? Um, it was actually, well, the story of where it started was my wife and I had just gotten married and we decided to buy a puppy and we took the puppy to the pet store and the pet store owner asked us like, which food do you want to buy for your brand new dog? And I said, just like without, without thinking, whatever the best food is you guys sell. And then I thought like instantly, I don't do that for myself. Like I don't eat the best food at the time. Like I didn't even know what the best food was. I was just very like, just not thinking about food. It's very mindless for me. I was just eating whatever I wanted. So at that point, I decided I'm going to research food. I'm going to read books, watch documentaries, talk to people, ask questions. And it was about six months into that process that I decided to try becoming vegetarian. And then about two months into that, I decided to pursue being vegan. And so for me, that process of just doing those personal experiments, learning a lot, asking a ton of questions led me to realizing that that was going to fit me well. Like I philosophically believed in it. I was like nutritionally, like loving the, all the food I was eating for the first time. And it just, it fit. And 10 years later, I'm still doing it. But like, it wasn't something that I thought would happen. I just knew that if I learn more, if I dig into this, I can compile all the data and see what it tells me. And that was my approach. And it has worked out ever since. I love that. I, I think um, what's inspiring about that story as well is it doesn't come there's obviously a huge benefit in terms of the animal welfare angle and things like that, but your story comes from a place of excitement and things getting better rather than a place of fear of feeling like I shouldn't or I can't or I won't. Hmm. Um, and my personal experience as well has been that, you know, eating a plant-based diet has been very beneficial for energy and uh, it's, a, it's a really fascinating thing to do. So, and one of the things I've, your- well, I'll say one of the things I've seen over the years too is that when people hear like, oh, Jeff's been a vegan for 10 years, he must be incredibly healthy. Like the one thing I always say immediately is just because you're any diet does not mean you're healthy. You can eat Oreos all day and be a vegan and that is not a good choice. Like there's so many bad foods out there. So it really just the question is like, how do you want to live? What do you like philosophically believe in? What do you practically have access to? Like you combine these elements together and figure out like what's going to be sustainable for me that I can get behind that I believe in. And like to your point there, like it's about abundance. It's about having more of the things I love and not thinking about the things I can't have because it's not really I can't. It's that I want to eat certain things and I believe in those and when I when I get to consume them more often, I feel more like my ideal self. And that's what I want to get to. Yeah, I think a lot of people approach vegetarianism or veganism, however you want to do it. And they think, OK, well, now I have to eat certain kinds of foods and like my my options are limited. But actually, it's just it, for most of us is that we just don't have the knowledge about what you can eat. And there's some incredible vegan and vegetarian restaurants out here that produce dishes and things which taste better than meat. That, yeah. <laughs> but it's not and I, I fall into the trap of comparing them there they're not the same you can't have a you know the moment right. you say this is fake bacon you already set yourself up for failure <laughs> right but there are some 
by by having less meat in your diet, it just opens up room on your plate for a whole load of stuff that you might otherwise not eat. And I love, I'm very inspired that you've done that in Texas. It's probably as a, a foreign thing, but I don't see Texas as a place where I see. Tech, I mean, the one time I went to Texas, there was a lot of barbecue. I'm in Tennessee, spot. not Texas. Oh, oh, but, sorry, Nashville. But it's totally it's different. very similar though. Don't get me wrong. Texas and Tennessee are not that different. It's the Southern United States, which has a very similar culture. It's very yeah. meat heavy. I mean, we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, to, to be a vegan anywhere in the U.S. besides like the coasts is a yeah. very difficult challenge. Like the East and West Coasts are pretty open to veganism. The middle of the United States, it is no man's land for veganism. You don't you're, you don't exist. So it. But the cool thing is, is that I started going vegan here in Nashville, and I had so many options then, and there are so many more options today than there ever were. And so if your goal is to make a like a dietary switch, there are so many options and so much you can choose from. So it's not really a question of like, do I lose when I change my diet? Like once again, it's just like, what do you gain? Like how many amazing things can you now do? And when you lean on those, you see options everywhere. Yeah, I just finished reading, um, or recently finished reading How Not to Die, um, which is a fantastic oh, yeah. book on this diet. Um, and it, I was astounded by the, you don't really think about it, but the gap in a, how few even doctors are trained in nutrition and, and how yeah. how invisible the nutrition problem is. And we were talking about sugar um, at dinner last night and how even these days when I want a, a normal Coca-Cola, I don't really drink it anymore, but I would say I want a full fat Coke, you know, and there's this idea of like a total uh a total misalignment with people's understanding of nutrition. If you're going to give, it can be very, very intimidating to become vegetarian or vegan or even to eat less meat is, you know, even if you don't want to go right. had to pick one book that you think people should read or one podcast or one expert they should follow. Who would you recommend? I would say the book that I have followed that I have, I think I come back to most often is the 80, 10, 10 diet by Dr. Douglas Graham, which to your point earlier about the, you know, the bodybuilder who ate nothing but bananas or fruit. It's like that his philosophy on diet is a raw vegan diet. And so it's what I would call like one of the most extreme diets out there in terms of the most limitation on paper. But it's also one of those that if you really buy into his philosophy on how to eat, there are so many wonderful things you can pull from that, even if you don't follow the diet he talks about. And so for me, that's always been kind of this go-to that I want to consume more raw produce. I want more bananas, more broccoli, more you know, tomatoes. Like I just want more of the really like the healthiest foods that don't have labels. You can find in a farmer's market. You can find it anywhere. An organic farmer down the street. Like there are people that make amazing food that we can all eat and it makes us feel better. And I just want to follow that kind of thinking. It doesn't mean I'm going to hold myself to a really high standard because I've tried that for a while and it was kind of exhausting. And so it really is that question of what can you handle? What do you want for your life? What fits you well? And what's going to help you to, I guess, become the person you want to become and maintain that as long as you can. Yeah, for sure. I think your, your point around almost picking the extreme point of view is really interesting. I think the things that held me back and that hold a lot of other people back are two things. One, that it's going to be a lot of hard work eating less meat because you know it will just you won't be able to eat at the same place or that kind of thing. The second is that it will make you sick or unhealthy. Mm. And so to be able to have someone who can show you once you understand that it's possible, it's actually quite easy then to cut down the amount of meat. If you even if you you want to, if you can cut down the amount of meat in your diet, because suddenly you realize, oh, it's both healthy and also fine. Um, and that's the thing. There's a big trend going on out here at the moment with a carnivore diet though, where people are only <laughs> eating. Yeah. But it goes in swings and roundabouts, right? Right. 
Well, I think one of the things also is interesting is that I did this entire switch by myself. So no one in my family is vegan. None of my friends are vegan. Like I am still on an <laughs> island and I have been for my, my entire journey with all of this. And I, I've seen, even with my wife, who's recently been changing her diet, if you have people around you who not only understand what you're doing, but support it and are there to like help you along, it is so much easier and it makes the path a lot better. So it's one of those where if you can be in a societal group of friends, family, people that will really like get behind you, it's not like a massive change. It's just like, well, this is how we eat and we feel good about it. And it doesn't have to be this grand thing. It could just be like, well, this is just what we do. And, and then we feel good because of it. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it plays back into your experiment idea, right? Of, mm -hmm. You know, people worry, okay, well, if I say I'm vegetarian or vegan, then it feels like a big commitment. Like, you know, you yeah. have to make an announcement and launch it on Facebook and right. stick to a 180 day goal. You know, the way we did it is we just tried it for a week. And then we were like, oh, we actually feel pretty good. Let's try another week. You know, right. let's try another week. Yeah. Six months later, we were still, we hadn't, and I was like, oh, I feel great. You know, um, so, so yeah, so I think you can experiment and just see how you go and get along with it, right? Does it make you feel more energetic in the morning? So talking of experiments, you, you've started with intermittent fasting. What, what kicked that off and, and how are you finding that? So my brother started doing it about a year ago and he was telling me a little bit about like what he had chosen to do. And so I thought, well, I can just give that a try because normally I would get out of bed and have a smoothie or, and a coffee, like kind of first thing. That was my like, kind of go-to breakfast items. And then I thought, well, what if I just held off and didn't have any food until lunch or even to mid-afternoon? And so that's what I started doing about three months ago. And it's a really kind of wacky shift in my head. It's I would relate that similarly to when I went vegan initially as a way of the perception that I have about how I should feel, when I should eat, am I actually hungry? Like what, how, how much can I, how can I push myself further? It's similar also to when you're running because you kind of get into these moments where your brain kind of shuts down on you and you think like, oh, I can't do this anymore. And then you have this big, massive, just like resurgence and you feel like, okay, I can keep going a lot longer. I, I'm finding that similar pattern with holding off on food. So when I'm fasting, I'll get these moments where I'll feel kind of low, but my body will pick me right back up without actually eating anything. And there's just like amazing stores of energy and resources that I didn't even realize I had in me. And so the more that I'm learning about kind of how your body can go a long time without food and actually it can be good for you. It's a weird thing to to think that the traditional, you know, three meals a day plus snacks and whatever is not actually what you have to do. There's other options out there. And so if you find the sustainable pattern, that's not that it could be better. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a an interesting self-reflection point, you know, they, they say one of the, or the, certainly the most profound experiences that I've had in meditation is where I've sat long enough to watch an emotional wave come peak and then disappear again afterwards. Yes, and watch yes. the hunger pangs turn up, see, you know, because when you feel hungry, you're like, oh, but this is only ever going to get worse. Especially yeah, if you've right. ever done before. <laughs> like, at some point, I'm going to murder someone and, <laughs> eat I'm so hungry. and then you watch the hunger pang come and then just it just disappears and you feel yes. clear and bright. And, and the first time you see that in yourself, you're like, wow, that's a whole side of me. I just didn't even know was there. Right. Totally. Uh, there was one thing that you mentioned meditation. Um, I did an experiment about a year or two ago where I drank some espresso and then I sat down immediately to meditate because my goal was to figure out like, can I like feel the sensation of caffeine hitting my bloodstream? And what I was blown away by was how intense it was. Like when I wasn't meditating, I would just drink some coffee, move on with my day and I'd feel more energetic and that'd be fine. But in this experiment, I could feel my body reacting to the caffeine. I could really like, I was hyper aware 
of the changes it was making in my body. And I realized like there is so much to my own life I'm just not even aware of. I'm not pausing long enough to think it through and to just be aware of what's happening. And I find that those types of experiences really show me more about how my body actually works, what's actually possible. And I find those to be just so interesting to see like the choices that I'm making, they play out in, in real like physiological ways. Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever tried meditating in a sauna? Yes, I have. Um, I'd mostly my saunas that I have access to are with a lot of other people at the gym and uh, they're kind of weird. It's hard to focus with these people around me. I, I would love to say I could if I had a, a solo place to be, but uh, it's not that common for me now. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a, yeah, it is a tricky. Everyone's chatting into that. It's, it's If you ever get the chance, it's another one of those. It's kind of like your caffeine experiment where it's a very controlled way to watch anxiety. I find a very yeah. controlled way to watch anxiety grow because when you start off in the sauna, you feel fine. And mm -hmm. then as you get hotter and hotter, you can feel yourself getting your body getting more and more anxious and wanting to escape it's that yes. flight response yes in. so you can just do it again and again and again where you just get in you're like oh you can just watch the flight response go up and in my day to day i found that incredibly interesting because i can then spot those same physiological symptoms if i'm getting anxious about something and pick up on it earlier and be like oh okay yeah i actually recognize this or when i'm playing tennis or when i'm doing whatever so I recommend that. Yeah, it's, it's a cool process to be able just to recognize like when you are experiencing those more extreme emotions and when you're experiencing anxiety or fear or dread or whatever that thing is. And then to, to have like, you know, tools in your toolbox to calm yourself down, to, to level back out or to understand that what you're experiencing will kind of hit a peak and come back down. And not like you said, just keep going up and up and get worse and worse. Like it won't actually do that. And that's it's interesting to be able to to know what that process really feels like. Yeah. And to spot it earlier to, you know, again, back to your experiments point, you know, so often we become fully invested in emotion before we even know what's happened. You know, mm. it's like just picking a goal and just going for it without actually experimenting with it. And the more aware you become, you know, uh, exactly like your caffeine, the, the more you can pick up on it early and then you can make a choice before it becomes a full blown mood. Uh, you know, that ruins your whole afternoon or whatever it is. You can go, oh, actually, I'm starting to feel a bit anxious. So I'm going to move away from whatever it is that's making me anxious. And that's your afternoon saved or, you know, anger or whatever it may be. Exactly. Very yeah. Tell me, tell me quickly, your, your, there are two things which recurrent themes, which I, I found in your book and your blog. Um, the first was uh, bananas. Um, <laughs> tell me, you, you're obviously a, a big fan of bananas. Tell I me am. what the, is it a magical fruit? It's a miracle fruit. What do you, what's your recommendation to everyone when it comes to bananas? Eat more of them. That's the number one. <laughs> Just keep going. Um, it was one of those things where when I first uh, went vegan, I was, I learned that, you know, bananas are an important aspect to nutrition in terms of athletics. So a lot of athletes eat bananas because you can, it's about an, on average, hundred calories per banana. So you get a lot of energy, a lot of potassium, which is important when you're sweating a lot, you know, you need to kind of get your electrolytes back in your body. And so I've found that bananas were really helpful. And I also realized there was this kind of perception in our world that well, you can only have like, you know, a banana a day, one, maybe two a day. And that's about the most like there's this these weird kind of assumptions about nutrition that are just kind of in the world that are definitely not true. Like there are so many times in my life where I've just blown those away and I didn't get worse. I didn't you know dive an illness. I got healthier. I felt better. I had more energy. And it's one of those where 
the more food like that that I can eat, the better I feel and the better I become. And so bananas to me are just the easiest because they're so portable, they're so available. They're literally, they're available year round in every place in the world. So it's like, how could you pass up a banana if it's literally everywhere and they're so cheap and they're so available? It's like, yes, I love them. Let's just do more of that. Yeah, any fruit that's got its own packaging included with it is always a great one. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. I'll say bananas and also pineapples and mangoes are my other go-to because they're mostly available year round. So I tend to eat those fruits more than any other because I know I can find them whenever I need a good piece of fruit. And so that's just what I, my kind of my go-to is when I get those in my smoothie or with a snack or whenever, it just, it makes my day better. Amazing. Um, I've just, um, my uh, partner Erin has been freezing grapes. Have you ever tried frozen grapes? I have not, no. Uh, this will blow your mind. So you just get, <laughs> Get a bunch of grapes, put it in the freezer, and then you just pull them out on a hot day. It's obviously probably a bit cooler in the U.S. at the moment, but it's 32 degrees in, in Bali at the moment. Oh, wow. Um, and every little bite of grape, every grape is like a mini sorbet. Um, you know, it has the exact texture of ice cream, but it's also full of potassium, full of antioxidants. Mm -hmm. So it's super, super healthy snack and very, uh, very satisfying. So try, try some frozen grapes. Okay. That sounds great. Yeah. She's also a big fan of frozen bananas as well. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Talk to me. Um, so you work at home, um, uh, which is a joy. Um, someone who works from home as well, and Aaron as well. But uh, a lot of people are working at home right now, and they there are two things that um, I see tend to frustrate them. The first is distractions, mm. um, and the second is not setting boundaries on their time. I have some friends who worked crazy hours in you know private equity and things like that, and, and they're now working from home. They're actually working longer now than they were mm. when they were in the office. Yeah, because they don't have it off. What um, it's obviously something you've probably been talking about during the the lockdowns and pandemic, and something we all be thinking about in the future. What are your recommendations first on distractions? How do you keep yourself focused on what it is you're doing, and and then afterwards, let's talk a bit about how you set some boundaries to shut the end of the day off. Those are great questions. I think that's I experienced that six years ago when I first began to work from home full time. And so for me, the switch to the pandemic life was not a big switch. It was just I don't leave the house as often as I used to. But when I am working, I had to make this big shift, you know, about six years ago where I realized if I'm in control of my time and if it's just me all day here, there has to be a sense of rhythm that you lose when because when you're if you're used to commuting to work and you drive to work or you take the subway and you get there and you, there's a there's a difference in your day being at home and being at work are two physically different locations well if in your house you're going like from your bedroom to your office and it's 10 feet away it doesn't feel nearly as a of a big switch and so you need to have like those kinds of transition times, those boundaries that are established. And so for me, I want to make sure I have very specific times of my day that are for work and times that are definitely not. And so that really means being very intentional about, you know, here are my top priorities for the day and here are the blocks of time when those things will take place. And for me, what I want to make sure is those blocks of times are focused. So to your, your point about distraction, you want to ask yourself for the task I'm doing, like, what do I need to do the task and how do I shut down everything else that could pull me away from that? And so for me, most of the time, that means turn the phone off, block social media on the computer, you know, like close my, my office door, lock it if I have to, like do whatever I can to ensure that when I'm doing something, that's all I'm doing. And for me, that has made such an enormous difference in terms of overall productivity because I can get more work done in three hours that I would do in six because I'm completely focused on the activity and nothing else. 
And then when it's time to stop working and hang out with the family, well, then I'm totally present to be hanging out with them because the work is already done. And so that's what I want to get to is these rhythms of when I'm working, I'm working. And when I'm not, I'm not. And if you don't have that kind of separation, then you could do like you just mentioned, work literally all day, every day, because why not? The computer is already here anyway. But that's just such a dangerous, slippery slope to literally have no real true sense of when you're working and when the work is done. Yeah, that's very cool. And I think there are two things I've seen from people who do this well. First is they tend to set up a separate space because mm -hmm. we're very cue triggered. You know, if you work on your dining room table and you put your laptop out all day and you're working and then you shut down for the evening, but then you go and have dinner at your dining room table, there are so many, it's so easy to pull out your laptop and check two emails or whatever it is. So I noticed you have a home office that you work from your studio. Do you try and do all of your work in one place and then keep that just for work? Is that one of your strategies? Yeah, essentially. I mean, this is the place where, you know, the vast majority of what I do, it gets done in this room. And then when I leave, I'm, I'm not doing that stuff anymore. And so if I can separate it off and literally wall it off, it's a whole room by itself, then I don't have to think about work when I'm in the kitchen or the dining room or the living room. Like, I don't want my whole life to feel like it's all the same because it's a real sameness that takes place when work and home and family and Zoom calls all become one thing then your life feels really mushy and like it's life. I think is better when you have distinct and discrete areas of, you know, I'm at the gym and I'm working out now. Now I'm at the grocery store and I'm buying food. Like um, you would go somewhere and you do something different. And that gives your life more of that sense of the day has variety, which if you don't have that built in. It's just so easy to get into like a mental rut and everything feels the same. And then what will happen is over time is you'll just get exhausted. You'll get fatigued by the experience. Your, your overall like productivity levels will drop and you just won't feel as good. And so I like to have that variation built in to make sure that I have that sense of like, now I have a new activity. Let's go do that. And you get kind of jazzed for that next thing. I love that. I think it's, uh, there's definitely something I've always thought of the cues as, uh, as a like, uh, it means you get sucked in, but I think the way that you talked about it there triggered for me an idea of also decision fatigue. You know, mm. this idea that if you just keep one place for one thing, if, if you do everything in one room, then when you walk into that room, you kind of have to think to yourself, okay, what am I doing now? Right. Whereas when you walk into your office, when you walk into your bedroom, when you walk into your dining room, if there's just one thing that you do in that place, you don't have to think about it. It's just automatic. You can get on with enjoying it. I had the same thought when I, I joined a gym here in Nashville about three years ago. And prior to that, I was working out from home. And so I had in my garage, I had a few pieces of weights and I was trying to work out there. But even in my garage, I was distracted by my neighbors walking by or just you know my daughter being at home. And so when I went to the gym, it was all of a sudden when I walk into the gym, there's one thing to do and that's workout. Yeah, yeah. Nothing else yeah. happens here besides exercise. And when that kind of clarity is there, like it's amazing that like with that one hour I'm there, I'm working out the entire time and then I leave and it's over. And like that kind of focus doesn't exist in most places, but if you can have that same mentality of when I go here, I do this one thing and then I leave. Well, then that one thing is just so much more valuable and so much more, you know, value is extracted from that time. And then your life has more meaning, I think, because you you know what you're doing when you go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And so that was the, the first thing was a, a physical distancing, physical space. The second thing that I see people who do this well, and I'm sure you do this as well, is creating a cognitive space where there's uh, there are specific behavioral cues. So, for example, you get to 6 p.m. and you go to the gym or you start cooking dinner or you spend. But what you do is you 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 book in these bookends of time that in your brain become a very clear transition moment from A to B, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have uh, 
do you have a, a sort of an end of work shutdown or is there something where you get to the end of the day you're like i know this is the end of my work day and you just shut it off or how do you deal with that yeah for me I, i'm very intentional about my evening routine because i know that if i want to wake up early i have to go to bed on time and i know my my own tendency is to keep working because i love what i do and I, I could work until midnight or later and i do sometimes and then i get mad at myself because i know it's not going to work but to that point what i usually like to do is have a very clear evening boundary so if i go to bed around 10 p.m i want to have the evening boundary about two hours before then. So for me, 8 p.m. is a typical cutoff where I want to say at that point, like turn off the computer, turn off the phone, like don't have those visual distractions that are there and commit to finishing my work for the day prior to that to wrap up and plan the next day and shut it down. And then I can just do the evening routine, which is usually, you know, eat some food, talk to my wife, go to bed. Like it doesn't have to be that much of a, a massive transition, but it has to be clear that I was working and now I'm not. And there's a line in the sand that I drew to cut that time off. And if you if it's not that clear, then you do what I was doing. You work until midnight because why not? I'm just I'm just here anyway. But it's just that pattern is just is destructive. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And I think that works both. Again, that works both ways. I, I found in the pandemic, there are two kinds of people. There are those who really struggled to do any work and there are those who really <laughs> struggled to stop working, right? Yes. And, and creating boundaries, creating clear physical boundaries. You talked about some great things like shutting your phone off. Uh, uh, I don't, I, I'm curious, people always ask me and I don't. I, my way of dealing with social media is just I deleted social media. I don't have any of it. Um, when you mute your social media, what do you do? Do you use a specific app or is there some way that you do it or you just shut down explore or how do you do it? Yeah. So when I'm working on my computer, which is kind of most of my work, um, if the phone is a distraction, I'll put it in airplane mode like it is right now during our call. Um, so the phone itself can't actually distract you with notifications. Um, I also on the computer use an app called Freedom, which will intentionally block different either websites or applications or whatever it is you want to block. For me, it's usually just social media sites that I'll block for a few hours while I'm working because um, I know my tendency is if I'm getting to like a mental, you know, kind of challenging aspect of my work, I'll try to avoid it by looking at Facebook or I'll avoid it. Like, it's just a typical thing. Like, you know what? Uh, that's that's kind of hard right now. Let me just look at the news real quick. Like, And that's yeah. those kinds of, of, of tendencies can be so easily overcome by simply having a blocker that reminds you, no, 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 get back to work, buddy. Like, don't do what you said you're going to do. Like, get back to that thing. And all of a sudden, like you, you can reinforce the better behavior to stay focused even if you still, you know, keep your your apps on your phone, you can block them for a little while. And during that time, you know, if you're focused, you're actually focused. And, and that to me is a really big deal. Yeah, I always um, I always say to people that friction is the enemy of action. Um, mm. And that, that, that cuts both ways. Right. So I instead of thinking myself as the water that's flowing down the hill, I think of myself as someone who just moves little pebbles. And my goal is to take pebbles out of the course of the stream where I want it to go and put pebbles in the way of the course of the stream where I don't want it to go. And creating little, however you can do it, creating little friction, giving a passcode to someone else, you know, sending mm -hmm. yourself, whatever you can do to just create. And it, it's not about, uh, it's not a negative thing. It's not about restricting yourself or punishing yourself. It's just making it slightly harder to do the stuff that you don't want to <laughs> be doing and making it slightly easier to do the stuff, you know, like, you know, I'm sure you don't have many snacks in the fridge, right? But you probably keep a lot of bananas on hand at all <laughs> right. times of the day, right? And so it's easy to get bananas and harder. 
Well, to that degree, one thing I tried, this was probably, you know, seven years ago when I had my last day job was I took what I called my produce bag to work. So most people might have like a lunchbox mm-hmm. or they'll have like, yeah. you, know, you know, their food for the for their lunch, you know, time period. What I would bring was I called my produce bag because all I put in there was grapes and strawberries and bananas and blueberries. And that was all that was in there. And my rule for the day was if I'm hungry, I eat this. That's all I get mm-hmm. access to. You know, I can't go out to lunch. I can't borrow food like what I brought is what I eat. And so I I use that same pattern at home, especially during those times when I'm not being very good with my diet, is I will pack a produce bag, I bring it to my office right here, and then that's what I eat for the day. It's right next to me. And so the temptation to snack or to cheat or whatever doesn't really exist if you give yourself a focused way to operate, but you know that if you make a choice in that right arena, it's a, it's a healthy choice. You already predetermined it was what you wanted. And then all of a sudden the guesswork goes away, that feeling of anxiety about what should I eat tomorrow? No, 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 it's right there. Just eat it. And that's it. Yeah. I love that. It's the opposite of the freedom thing you've removed. You've made eating a healthy snack, the easiest course of action. And human beings yes. are lazy, right? When, you know, if you make it, <laughs> And so, you know, just designing your day to, to constantly make the, the behaviors that you want to keep doing long term, the easiest course of action is actually just one of the most powerful things you can do. And I know you write a lot about habits. Um, uh, I, I wish we, I always get to the end of these conversations. Like, I wish I had an extra hour to talk about stuff. <laughs> um, and maybe we'll have to do another one, or I know we'll be talking again on your podcast uh, later in the week. But um, if you had to pick Obviously, your your book is called The 5 a.m. Miracle, but in the FAQs, it says, do I have to get up at 5 a.m.? And the answer is, no, you don't have to get up at 5 a.m. And I, I say the same thing, by the way, in my masterclass. I'm like, 5 a.m. Is the, is the bomb. If you can get up early, then it's the best thing. If you had to pick uh, two or three healthy habits, let's go back to the 18-year-old version of you that's just about to start college. And you were like, these are the two or three keystone habits which you just build them for this year. What would you pick? What would your productivity and or health habits be? I think one of the things, the reason why I got so attached to early mornings because I was I saw this immense power in beginning the day intentionally. And if the, you can have some wins early in the day, it sets the tone for the rest of the day to be that much more successful. So for, I mean, as a counter example, if I wake up late and I'm stressed out and I'm tired and then I try to go do hard things, they're way too hard. My brain is not able to handle that. But if I wake up intentionally with a plan, then when I get to the hard thing, it's not nearly as hard and I'm ready to tackle it. And so for me, the the core thing I want to do is wake up intentionally, whether that's at 5 a.m. or 730 doesn't matter. But you wake up at a time that you predetermine was the best time. And then when I get up at that time, I like to do either an early morning run and or have a smoothie because I generally speak and right now to intermittent fasting. But when I wasn't doing that, it was I want to start off the day with healthy nutrition and energy and fitness and movement. And if the healthy aspect is the first thing I focus on, then I have the energy to go do the work. Then I'm able to go focus better. And if I don't prioritize health first thing in the day, it's very easy to not do it later. And so yeah. there's everyone has different kind of you know energy cycles of when they feel best. And I've done lots of seasons where I'll go to the gym late in the afternoon when I'm too tired to work anymore. And that can work well, too. It's just you have to figure out like when it works best for you and stick to that pattern. And so for me, I know if health is a priority, I'm going to get more done because I'm healthier. Like if I have more energy, I got better sleep, I ate better food, things work better. So the core for me is wake up intentionally, plan my morning to have that like health explosion first thing. And then when that's the case, the rest of the day is going to be so much better. 
Cool. So the habits would be sort of set an intentional time of day that you're going to wake up, have a plan for the morning, which is one of the most important things. And I guess prioritize a healthy habit at least at one point in your day, whether it's first thing in the morning or yes. later on. Exactly. When do you do your planning? Do you do it uh, in the morning or do you do it the night before or? Yeah, night before usually. So when I end my work day, I'll try to look at, you know, what's tomorrow's schedule going to look like? And I always will re redo my calendar. So I have a weekly review process where I'll set the calendar for the week, but it never stands that way. I redo my calendar every single day because I just, I change my mind on what I want to do and when I want to do it. And that's, I'm fine with that as long as the core things that have to get done are getting done. And so every night I'll plan the next day, redo the calendar, next morning, get up and then follow the calendar from there. Very cool. That's a great tip. I love that. Um, Jeff, it's been awesome talking to you. I did say on our emails before, I was like, I don't think we're going to run out. I have literally a thousand more topics. <laughs> um, for anyone that's listening, um, Jeff's clearly a super interesting guy. Anything from uh, all the self-development and productivity stuff. Um, you know, I resonate with a lot of the things you say. I teach many of the same things. Um, the podcasting, the uh, health habits, the ultra running. I was looking through your podcast. There's so many great guests on there, uh, on the 5am Miracle uh, podcast. Um, those are the places I would probably start with your podcast and go and listen to that because that's your 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 baby, I guess, the thing you've most focused yeah. on and your website, which will point you to the other things. Is there anywhere else that people should go to learn more about you? Or, or what would you say if they're, if they're interested in Jeff and they're like, I like this guy's way of thinking, what's the first step they should take to learn more? Yeah, that's it. The website, jeffsanders.com, is the home base for everything I'm working on. So you can discover all the things I'm currently doing. Uh, the podcast is the best way to consume kind of quick, free content. Um, the 5A Miracle book, though, really breaks down kind of a very specific way to structure your life and get your goals accomplished. And I think that's probably the best place to begin if you really want to dig in now and kind of redo your calendar and redo your goals. I feel like that's kind of the best place to start. Awesome. Cool. So the 5A Miracle book, and I'll put uh, links in the show notes to all of these things. So not to worry, or if you, uh, if you're listening to this somewhere, you can't see the show notes, then yeah, jeffsanders.com. Uh, just search for Jeff. Uh, you've got one of those great names that's, I've always wish I had a, a one syllable, two syllable surname because they always sound great, you know, whereas <laughs> a very, very silly, posh English name. So, um, thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, really appreciate it. And yeah, I'll be, we'll be chatting again later in the week for the 5am miracle. So if you want to listen to the second half of this conversation where Jeff asks me structured questions about things <laughs> and, we can only move back and talk about whatever's interesting to us, then you should uh, listen in on that as well. Um, and yeah, I'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you. Take care, Jeff. Bye. Bye.